Hi, I'm Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, and I'm here with the Slate Spoiler Special Podcast on Bruno, the new Sasha Baron Cohen comedy. Uh, with me from Washington, D.C., Slate Studios is Dan Coyce. Hi, Dan. Hey, Dana. Care to identify yourself? Uh, I'm a film critic for The Washington Post and a contributing writer to New York Magazine. And you also, I will tell you in secret, or it's not secret anymore, I guess, are my favorite person to spoil movies with. So I'm really glad to be doing Bruno with you. But we didn't see it together, so I really have no idea what you thought of the movie. Do you want to give me your first reaction, then we'll launch into some spoiling? Uh, I laughed really hard all the way through, and um, at the same time thought it was not exactly the movie I expected it to be. How so? Because you also told me that you thought it was a lot like, like Bora. Did you expect it to, to sort of deviate from that model more? I think based on everything I had read and heard and, and maybe hoped, uh, you know, based on all that, I had sort of thought maybe it would actually be a, a brilliant broadside against homophobia when, in fact, it's not really. Um, it's just more an extremely funny comedy starring a buffoon who this time happens to be gay. I want to get to the homophobia, homophobia question later on because I know you, you think it somewhat you know, falls down as a critique of homophobia. Whether or not the movie itself could sort of you know, be an unintentional incitement to homophobia is another question. But it let's made go me over. It's terrified of, of one particular <laughs> It's just Brunophobia, right? Right. <laughs> well, let's let's do a quick story outline. And for people who have seen Borat, I mean, we can sort of talk about how the two movies are essentially the same same structure retold. Uh, it's yeah, the movie has four or five writers listed in the story credit, which is hilarious because really you, they just took the story from Borat and placed it in a in a different context. But Bruno is an uh, a, a, the host of an Austrian fashion television show. He is a wildly uh, gay cartoon of a character um, who, after um, screwing up his reporting at the Milan fashion shows by wearing a Velcro suit and stumbling onto the catwalk and being thrown out, uh, determines that the way to save his career is to become an uber-celebrity, to become the most famous, famous person in the world. And so he sets off on a an epic journey around the world, but mostly around America, in an attempt to become that celebrity. He's accompanied by his devoted assistant's assistant, Lutz, um, who worships the ground that Bruno walks on. Uh, after a one-night stand in a Kansas City hotel room, uh, they separate with Bruno, disparaging Lutz and Lutz walking away in tears. Um, Bruno is lost without his beloved assistant, and of course, at the end, they are reunited uh, in a very romantic scene that occurs in the middle of a cage match fight uh, in rural Arkansas. And as you and I were observing that cage match, that sort of is both the climax of the love story and uh, and also kind of the biggest comic set piece in the whole movie, is the almost exact equivalent of the rodeo scene that, that ends Borat. I mean, also in terms of having had to attract an audience that would be as horrified as possible by the, the spectacle that, that he and Lutz are going to put on for them. Right. And he and Lutz's climactic fight, which occurs while they're both half naked wearing bondage, well, seven-eighths naked wearing bondage gear in a Kansas City hotel room and then in the parking lot of, the, of a Kansas City police station is basically this movie's version of the naked wrestling match between Borat and his uh, assistant played by Ken Devichin in Borat, the original movie. Right. So both movies are sort of this peripatetic sort of journey across America, you know, sort of moving more more closer and closer to the Deep South and the sort of core of, of racism in Borat's case and, and homophobia in this this movie's case. Um, you had some notes from the you had some stories from the production notes, too, about I mean, the big question that rises to your mind when you watch this movie is how the hell did they do it? How did they stage these scenes? How did they manage to keep a straight face? How did they find these people? And the production notes had some good stories about that. No. Well, the uh, the production notes do go into a, a pretty decent amount of detail, um, more or less bragging about the 
how hard it was to shoot this movie, which is very believable, obviously. I mean, as hard as it probably was to shoot Borat, he had the advantage of, of not being a big star at that point. Um, and now he had to basically shoot the same kinds of scenes with unknowing spectators, both famous and non-famous. But he had to do it being a Golden Globe winner for Best Actor in a Comedy. Right, so they have uh, to do some real footwork to find places where nobody's right. going to know what's going on. I mean, he must have an amazing advanced team of, of PR people, or you wouldn't even really call it PR, but whoever does the footwork to get these situations set up. I mean, to be honest, you would call them, he, he has a brilliant advanced team of liars. Right. Uh, professional liars who go in and get him I said into PR people, didn't I? <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, zing, uh, who, who, who to get him into situations with unsuspecting, uh, uh victims essentially of his pranks. Um, well, like for example, he goes to Jerusalem at one point, which is a real, I thought comic high point of the movie. Everything that happens in Jerusalem is just, it's just hilarious. And they somehow managed to bring together, I think there's two different sets of representatives of Palestinians and Israelis, right? And they're yeah. pretty high up people. One of them's a professor at a, at a university in Israel. One of them's the Palestinian governor of Jerusalem. They managed to get in a room with Bruno. And he does um, this kind of sit down with him and tries to get them to agree on something. Do you want to spoil some of those jokes? Oh, sure. This was one of my favorite parts of the movie in which he, in an attempt to get them to agree on something, uh, he confuses Hamas with hummus, um, much to the chagrin of both people he's talking to. But he does manage to get them to agree at last, that hummus is quite a healthy food uh, and good for you to eat. And as he notes, that's really a starting point for Middle Eastern peace. Then he brings their hands together to shake their hands and ends up sort of using both their hands to stroke his hair. And there's just a very, very awkward moment there that's just great. While singing a terrible song of his own invention about uh, peace and love. Which ends up being the sort of We Are the World sing-along at the end of the movie, right? It's the same song. Right. Featuring Sting, Bono, Snoop Dogg. Uh, Elton John sitting on a Mexican. So let's spoil some other stuff. <laughs> Speaking of sitting on Mexicans, there's a there's an interlude in the middle in which um, Bruno attempts to uh, restart his career by doing celebrity interviews, much in the way that Borat sort of made his fame. And in fact, that Ali G, the uh, original Sacha Baron Cohen fake character, made his name. Um, and Bruno doesn't get that many celebrities because at this point, if you are a celebrity in Hollywood and you get a request to have an interview by some unknown person who just happens to be six foot two skinny with an outrageous accent you would walk out the door if you're smart but he gets paula abdul and at one point he gets her to sit on a bunch of mexicans claiming that there are no furniture but they hired a bunch of um, mexicans to service chairs um, to her credit, eventually um, she and her people get very upset and storm out. Only um, when they when they wheel out the naked man covered in sushi for, yes, her, that, for her snack. That's correct. That's correct. That's that's when it was too much. Um, they in really a, a cringeworthy uh, moment in a, in a movie full of cringeworthy moments. They get Brittany Gastineau, a member of the Gastineau reality show clan, out for a segment uh, in which they look at celebrity fetuses. And he gets her jokingly, one must assume, um, to recommend that uh, Jamie Lynn Spears abort her fetus because it looks, quote, retarded. Um, I have to say, I think the most painful to me of all was the attempted seduction of Ron Paul in a hotel room. Uh, poor Ron Paul and Ron Paul who storms out and says basically that guy's as queer as a $3 bill is representative. I think of most of the targets of this movie in that if you're using this movie to sort of judge the American psyche, uh, America actually comes off kind of well in that 
no one actually beat Sasha Baron Cohen up. And to beat up Bruno would not really be, uh, to my mind, an example of homophobia so much as it would be an almost totally rational response to the insane person <laughs> who is aggressively like poking you with dildos or wagging his ass in your face or just whatever, just doing the whole, like the awful, crazy, horrible things that Bruno does. I mean, and so the fact that like that karate instructor from whom Bruno gets karate instruction, um, that he doesn't actually hit Bruno, but instead very cheerfully attempts to show him all the moves you could use to disarm a three dildo wielding person attacking you is sort of a hero in my book. Yeah, shows- that's why I would say that, I mean, to look at this movie or Bruno as, I mean, or Borat as sort of um, investigations or subversions of, you know, American prejudice is sort of a grandiose interpretation of what, what the movie's about. I mean, right. don't get me wrong, they're hilarious movies, but they're pranks. They're basically extended pranks and very successful. Right. Ones. They, the, Bruno does not show, except for a few scenes, the America's real response to real gay people. It shows America's response to crazy cartoons who won't leave you alone. Um, and so, I mean, other than that cage match scene, which I think does do an excellent job of uh, exposing how homophobia in a mob setting becomes violent and bizarre well you were saying that they had to reshoot the cage match match climactic scene because because actual chairs were being picked up and thrown right. and they were being physically endangered by the audience right so apparently um uh, apparently the first time they attempted to shoot that cage match scene they did not uh like bolt the chairs to the floor and so everyone had to take off running when many many chairs were launched into the uh into the cage. But that scene is, is interesting and in that it's re- it really, to my mind, was one of the only moments where the movie did get at something uglier in American culture, at least in one particular part of American culture. It's, it happened in Arkansas um, it, it, to let listeners know what was going on. It's sort of the climax of the movie and it's billed for the audience at the cage match as straight Dave's like man blasting cage match <laughs> action or something. And Bruno claiming he's gone straight, wears a mullet and plays a guy named Straight Dave, um, who introduces uh, this cage match with sort of a lot of uh, anti-gay rhetoric. He shouts, my asshole's just for shitting, and it cuts to a man in the audience wearing a T-shirt he presumably has been given that actually says, my asshole's just for shitting. Um, and in the end, he ends up getting in a fight with Lutz, his his old assistant who has returned um, and the fight immediately turns into a makeout session with them stripping each other and licking each other and kissing each other. And the audience does go mad. I mean, they go wild. They are furious. They scream. No, they do throw one unsecured chair into the crowd. They throw their beers. At one point it cuts to a guy just weeping in anger and, and fury at what he's been forced to witness. Uh, and that scene, I think maybe because there was, a mob there there was an entire crowd there and so they could sort of get over the fact that cameras were watching them and express sort of like pure fear or hatred or anger uh got at something a little uglier and different than the rest of the movie got at and it, that does make for a very cathartic ending. I mean, this romantic relationship between Bruno and Lutz, which has basically been a cartoon the entire time and an excuse for sort of, you know, ridiculous bondage gear costumes and things, actually becomes kind of moving in that moment, if only because they're sort of, you know, the Romeo and Juliet, you know, scoffed right. at by all. Apparently, according to a report in uh, in MovieLine, at MovieLine.com, the original ending for Bruno uh, had that scene being followed by a press conference with Bruno and Lutz in, uh, in which it is, becomes clear that in a 
gay bashing incident at that cage match, Lutz has basically been had the crap beaten out of him and is brain damaged and like in a wheelchair. Um, and the original scene was a scene of Bruno cheerfully declaring his love for the brain damaged, like drooling Lutz. Um, after the gay bashing incident that occurred and after a test screening that was changed to what the ending that's there now in which they attempt to get married before a just like before a minister once again a very admirably straight talking minister who when Lutz shows up in a wedding dress says why am i even talking to you <laughs> that so, was such a simple scene of subversion i don't know my why more people don't show up in drag to get married yeah. at city hall it's it's it's, right. it's a great prank um, Dan, let's take a quick break here for our Audible recommendation um, for this spoiler. As regular listeners know, Slate Podcasts have a sponsor now, Audible.com, the uh, leading purveyor of audiobooks on the Internet. If you sign up at our page, which is www.audiblepodcast.com slash spoiler, then you get a free audiobook with your membership, which you can keep even if you decide not to remain a member, which you will, because it really is a great service that I use all the time. So um, our recommendation for this week, we racked our brains to try to think of a a Bruno-related book. I think actually the perfect book, if it existed, would be some sort of abstract theory of comedy because I find his comedy so conceptual. And I'd love to just, you know, hear Sasha Baron Cohen reading about his own comedy. But instead we came up with a fashion book for this week, The Devil Wears Prada by Lauren Weisberger, which there's several versions of on Audible, abridged, unabridged. The unabridged version is read by a woman named Laurel Lefko, and uh, that's our recommendation for the week. Although if... A version of Mein Kampf existed read in a lisping Austrian accent. I would recommend that. <laughs> Wait, that's actually an excellent transition to the next question I was going to ask you, which is, can we talk a little bit about the presence of Hitler in this movie <laughs> and how how um, how Hitler is sort of uh, employed in the service of Sasha Baron Cohen's comedy? Well, as uh, as Kazakhstan is portrayed in Bruno in Borat, excuse me, as uh, a backwards anti-Semitic wasteland of cousin marrying imbeciles. Um, so Austria is sort of vaguely touched on in this movie as uh, a place where uh, uh, where Hitler still is around in memory. Um, Bruno refers to himself at one point as hoping to become the most famous Austrian celebrity since Hitler. Um, and there's also a great scene in National Guard uh, in a National Guard recruiting station in which uh, attempting to get Bruno to salute. Uh, the National Guard is frustrated to find that really all he can do is just he keeps throwing out Nazi arm salutes over and over and over again. It seems like really the group most likely to be offended by this movie is Austrians, right? I mean, there's some there's some right. very I mean, broad jibes at Austrians. Austrians and Jamie Lynn Spears really are the two groups who should be very, very upset about this movie. Um, one thing that we had talked about a little bit that I'd love to touch on is uh, you talked about Sacha Baron Cohen's theory of comedy. And obviously a lot of it has to do with... Uh, fearlessness and a willingness to offend. Um, But I was sort of surprised in this movie how many wonderful and very funny scenes occurred because of his willingness to shut up, his willingness to be quiet and let people talk themselves into corners. Um, And the scene that I think struck both of us as parents, uh, maybe the most strongly, and one that I think is not going to be discussed a lot in other reviews because it doesn't have celebrities in it and it's not Bruno being outrageous was a scene in which he's interviewing uh, the parents of possible child models for a baby photo shoot that he wants to run uh, in which he keeps asking the the parents uh, progressively more awful questions about what they would be willing to have their babies do in order to get the job from is your baby comfortable around open flame to can your baby operate heavy machinery to um, could your 30 pound baby lose 10 pounds by next week <laughs> to which the woman says if it'll get her the job we can make it happen 
Um, and it climaxes in him asking a woman. Uh, we were trying to we were trying to recall exactly what the term, the phraseology was, but he basically asked a woman, "Would you be willing to have your baby um, dressed in Nazi regalia, um, <laughs> pushing a, a wheelbarrow with another baby in it who's dressed as a Jew?" Um, to which the woman says, "Sure, no problem. What you know? When do we start?" Yeah, this kind uh, of scenes of escalation are what he's really amazing at. I mean, it's not as if, you know, he's he's the best at delivering comic lines of any comic. You know, like in a way, I sort of think the male model, the male supermodel that, that Ben Stiller plays in Zoolander is sort of a funnier character. You know, I don't yeah. think the blue steel expression is ever quite equaled in this movie. But what he's amazing at, obviously, is he's an extraordinary reactor to, to situations. He's not reading from a script. And you're right that some of the funniest and most shocking moments take place in, in total silence. I absolutely love that moment by the fireside. He's going camping with this bunch of hunters, right? Sort of, I don't know if he's in, in the South at that point, in Alabama or something. He's in Alabama. They've all, they're all about to pitch their tents and they're sitting by the fireside and there's just this moment that he looks at the stars and says, do you ever look at the stars and think about all the hot guys in the world? I can't do a German accent. But he just asks well, that question <laughs> and, and the question just drops like a stone and there's probably... 30 seconds of total silence and you see Baron Cohen kind of peering mischievously from side to side just milking the moment just so delighted at that silence and, and, it's, and it's a great moment and when I think and when I think of that I think that right now there are three guys in Alabama who certainly will never see Bruno and maybe who have no idea that they're in it but who just very distinctly remember the worst camping trip they ever went on <laughs> that was so that was not fun at all and this guy was there and he just kept trying to crawl naked into their tents. And what was he doing? Oh, God, it really seemed like he was risking his life in that scene. I just hope there were some burly security guys on the premises. So right. since we're spoiling, when you're spoiling a Sasha Baron Cohen movie, what you really have to spoil is the raunch. So we, we want to talk about some of the just most purely outrageous, disgusting and raunchy moments in this movie. Uh, the movie opens or, or within the first five minutes, there's a, a longish montage of um, Bruno and his uh, pygmy lover. Um, engaging in uh what he says in the movie is just you know the typical things that two men do with each other and then it immediately cuts to a series of blackout gags of the most ridiculous outrageous um uh like caricatures of um of gay sex you've ever seen from um uh bruno setting a fire extinguisher off in his lover's butt to um a really a great a moment of almost Roadrunner-esque physical comedy in which uh, his lover sits in a, a wheeled office chair and stretches out at, along a huge rubber band and then lets himself loose so that he flies naked at rocket speed towards <laughs> Bruno, who's who's lying on the bed with his butt upturned. Um, and it's and uh, you know the the supposed places of sexual contact are pixelated out, um, but it still is a scene that basically announces. Through its total disgustingness and outrageousness, and and you don't have to be a homophobic straight guy to believe that these scenes are semi-disgusting because they're meant to be insane um, and physically impossible. But it announces that what we're dealing he with here is not like the world of real gay people, but the world of uh, of a a, a a crazy caricature of gay life. 
Yeah, absolutely. There's his attempted seduction of Ron Paul, which sadly does not come off. That's that, um, that's more just sort of emotionally unbearable. There's yes. nothing graphic about it. There's the um, there's the revolving talk- singing penis, right? Yes, the talking urethra, which is really a moment of like high genius. I thought it's something that I definitely had never seen before in a movie. But there's a, an extended dance break in which uh, penis. Uh, Presumably Sasha Baron Cohen's, though we're never meant to know for sure, swings wildly, jumps up and down, dances in tune with a techno beat, and then at the end points directly at you, and the urethra opens up like a mouth and says something like, Bruno! Hi there! I think it just says, Bruno! It's kind of an interesting show. That's right, it just yells, Bruno! Yeah, that's such Uh, a simple little piece of of animation, right? It's basically animation at its simplest. But but most impressive, one must say. Um, And then there is a an extended another moment of brilliant silence in the movie is uh, in a in a uh, scene in which Bruno is attempting to commune with a palm reader um, with a spirit of his departed lover who he claims to be uh, the deceased half of Millie Vanilli. Um, he asks if he if his, the spirit of his ex lover can visit the room and if he can kiss him. And what follows is probably a two and a half minute long mimed. Uh, in complete sexual encounter between Bruno and the ghost of Millie or Vanilli, um, uh, in which he just takes him completely from uh, the beginning to orgasm. Um, and during that entire thing, the uh, the the palm reader just very silently and stoically stares into the into space, letting Bruno do what he needs to do, and then at the end of it, uh, asks for his money. <laughs> Yeah, actually, the palm reader's forbearance in that scene is really, like you say, more a testament to how polite Americans are than right. anything else. Uh, he's nearly saintly in what he lets Bruno do in his office. That scene was really hard to watch for me because I felt so bad for the poor palm reader guy. Well, that's a lot. A good measure of how well you will be able to tolerate this movie is how much is how badly you know you will feel for people who are mortified at a crazy person in their midst. And if that just gives you the hives or the heebie-jeebies, you maybe should avoid this movie. Right. Well, most of the time you identify with the victim, right? And yeah. you identify with, with Baron Cohen's victim. Except in those scenes, that, the more cathartic ones, like I was saying, where there's, there's something really nasty going on, like, like right. the cage match. Right. Well, Dan, thanks a lot for um, joining me for this late spoiler special. And if Baron Cohen makes another movie, will you come and spoil it with me, please? Uh, I absolutely will. As uh, he has run out of characters from the Ali G show, he's made movies with all three of them. And so he'll have to come up with some fourth character. Uh, Given his willingness to basically do anything, I I do not doubt at all that he will and that it will be a 700-pound black woman. Tyler Perry, step back. Yes, yes. Sasha Baron Cohen is the new Tyler Perry. All right. Thanks a lot, Dan, for joining me for the Slate Spoiler Special. Thanks, Dana. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.